Well, welcome everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches today, Blunstown, Chipley, and Mariana, because today we are in the second week of a conversation entitled The Last King. But before we jump into today's conversation, uh, there is something that is really important that's happening for all our students at all of our campuses. On October the 5th, Dell Alexander is sharing one of the most important talks that students need to hear. It is the talk about money. Now, here's the thing, when you really stop and think about it, that is one of the most important conversations that every student needs to hear because finances affect every area of your life. In fact, the reason this talk is so important is that studies show that if a person misses having a financial plan before they start their first full-time job and get their first full-time paycheck, they will struggle to ever have a plan to give and save and live. And so Dale has generously agreed to partner with us to have the talk that we as parents all wish our children to hear about money. And we want every student that we can to hear this talk that Dale is gonna be giving on October the 5th. Now parents, here's the great part for you. You're invited to be part of that evening as well because it's gonna give you the opportunity to have conversations with your children moving forward after they hear this conversation and help them begin to work out this plan. In fact, there was a handout that was on your seat when you came in today. If you want more handouts, stop by the gallery on your way out so that you can help us spread the word to every parent, every student out there. And, and here's the thing, everybody who shows up for this conversation that evening, they're gonna get a free copy of Dale's book called The Talk About Money for free. So make sure you help us get out the word to many students and as many parents as possible. And here's the thing that I also wanna say, thanks to those of you that give consistently and generously, we're able to provide this opportunity for students and parents to hear Dale and get these books for free. So many of you, you invest your time and your resources to help us create quality environments every week. And those environments, they impact children, they impact students, and they impact adults. So if you wanna get involved and you go, oh, I would love to be more involved in this whole process. You can stop by your gallery after the service on your way out. Our teams there would be, they will love to help you understand how you can make a difference and give you all the different serving opportunities that are possibly available on our campuses. Or if you'd like to make an investment by giving more opportunities like Dell, um, we have a really easy way for you to do that. You can just start setting up consistent giving. You can drop off that giving either through the giving boxes on your way out, or you can go through our app. I mean, you can even make giving a regular priority by automating it through our app. And many of you have discovered how easy that makes it to be able to be generous to help us create those kind of environments and opportunities. So thank you as a church for your consistent generosity, both with your money and your time that you invest through giving and serving. I'm telling you folks, your generosity with your time and your resources, it makes everything we do possible. So thank you, thank you very much. Now, one more thing before we dig into part two of The Last King. Don't forget, next week is the fourth Sunday of the month, so be prepared to share by giving $4 for others. So you're gonna have the opportunity to participate in that next week, digitally or with cash, um, and just make sure that um, you're, you're ready to participate with that. Now, last week, 
He introduced this um, new series and called the Last King. So go ahead and pull those talk notes out and let's ready to get ready to dive in. Maybe make sure you grab your Bibles as well because I'm sure you're going to want to take some notes. So last week when he introduced this series, The Last King, um, I want to return to an idea that we introduced uh, as we started this conversation, and it is this. If you grew up in church, you most likely heard terms that were often used in the New Testament to describe Jesus. They were terms like Savior, forgiveness and friend. However, there are a few other terms that are also used to describe Jesus. There are terms like this, like Messiah, Christ, and Lord. So the question is, what is the difference between all of these terms, and then what does that mean for us? Well, to help us understand kind of the difference, I want you to think about two descriptions of Jesus, Savior and Lord. See, whenever we embrace Jesus as Savior, we, begin, we, t- we tend to think of him and relate to him as forgiver and friend. However, when you think about Jesus as Lord, you relate to Jesus differently or think about him differently than you do as Savior. And here's the thing that I know. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, don't we all like to think about Jesus as Savior? Because, oh, it's so nice to think about Jesus as our forgiver and our friend. I mean, that's so comforting. But when you think about Jesus as Lord, it means something totally differently. We start thinking about him as our king because he's our Lord, which means king. See, whenever we embrace Jesus as Lord, we acknowledge him as king. And that difference is so essential to recognize because many of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, what we've done is we've reduced our relationship to Jesus to just believing But James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, said, even the devils believe there's one God. And that's just a great reminder that there's so much more to a relationship with Jesus than just believing. Because see, what happens is we get in this believe mindset, and because so many of us have reduced our relationship with Jesus to just believing, what we've done is we have forgotten what it really means to follow Jesus as our king. You see, Jesus' invitation to us, it was never just believe in me. It was also come follow me. Now, here's what's interesting about that. The early followers of Jesus, they understood the importance of recognizing Jesus as their king. It's why the New Testament writers, they refer to Jesus as Savior 157 times, but they refer to him as Lord over 700 times. See, these early followers of Jesus, they understood two things that we tend to forget when we reduce our relationship with Jesus to just believing. First of all, they understood that Jesus was the king who came to reverse the order of things. In other words, they begin to understand after Jesus' death and resurrection that he was a king that turned everything upside down. In fact, let me say this to you. If you are a follower of Jesus and what you do as a follower of Jesus doesn't seem completely opposite of the world, then you're most likely not following Jesus. Because if you read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, Jesus comes along and he flips everything upside down. So the early followers of Jesus, they understood that Jesus was the king who came to reverse the order of things. And then the second thing they understood that we tend to forget is while we get to choose whether we follow Jesus, we don't get to choose how we follow Jesus. 
So last week, we discovered the different steps that Jesus invites us to take as we begin to learn to follow him because it is a series of steps. And these steps are seen in the story of Peter and Andrew and James and John leaving their business, their fishing business, to follow Jesus. And what we discovered is, is they didn't just up and follow Jesus. They didn't just up and leave everything behind and follow Jesus when they first met Jesus. No, there was a series of steps that led them to abandoning everything to follow Jesus. So for just a moment, I would remind you of these steps to make sure that we're all caught up, that we're all on the same page as we have this conversation this morning. So as we learned last week, following Jesus, it starts with an invitation to listen and learn. I mean, Jesus always begins by inviting people to hear what he says, to get to know him, to examine the evidence. So the first step in following Jesus is to study who Jesus is and what he says. To discover, is Jesus who he, is, who he says he is and, and what does he say and how does he teach? And then once you listen and learn, you begin to study who Jesus is and what he says, then the next step that often happens is as with Peter and Andrew and James and John, Jesus will ask you to loan him the boat. Well, that means for us is Jesus is gonna ask you to take a step that feels like an inconvenience to you. It's a step maybe for some of you to attend something like an environment we create around here called Engage, which helps you understand how you can be more part of the body of Christ and how you can have a closer relationship with Jesus. Or for some of you, it's a step to get into a small group where you can start having conversations about how to apply God's word to your life on a daily basis and how it's applicable for you. But basically, it's a step. Or maybe for some of you, it's a step to maybe get up early in the morning or turn off the TV and spend time sitting and listening and hearing from God, figuring out who Jesus is and what he says and what that means for your life. But this step, this second step where you inconvenience yourself, this step, it moves you from being a spectator to a participator. So the second step in following Jesus is this. I step into interacting or participating with Jesus. Jesus calls me to take another step where I move from just being a spectator in the crowd as he did with Peter. He said, Peter, I want you to use, I want to use your boat. And so then Peter got in and Peter now is participating in interacting with Jesus in his ministry. And then the third step that Jesus invited the disciples to take was take him fishing. Now, for us, this is an area where God is gonna ask you to do something that seems unusual or it's gonna be costly to you. In other words, it's out of the ordinary. You're saying, Jesus, this is not how I normally would have done this. For example, God says you need to practice consistent generosity and you've never done that. And you don't think it makes any sense to do that, but God just keeps nudging you. So you just say, God, it doesn't make any sense to give my money away but you say, I'm gonna step out and trust God. Or as you read and you listen and learn to who Jesus is, you, you discover that he says, okay, I want you to approach relationships or parenting or marriage or your relationships in your workplace. I, I want you to handle those in a different kind of way. And you thought, oh, that'll never work. I mean, being a servant leader, that's never gonna work. But you know what, God, this is what you're telling me to do, so I, I'm gonna try and I'm gonna see what happens. See, in this stage, you are gonna trust God in another area of your life and see if God really is who he says he is and will do what he says that he will do. 
So the third step in following Jesus is I sacrifice what is convenient or what makes sense to me, and I step forward to follow Jesus even more. And then the final stage of following Jesus, it is leave your nets. And this was where Jesus asked Peter and Andrew and James and John, he says, I want you to follow me. But it was a result of them building enough trust that they were willing to go all in. And so this for you and I is where we have built enough trust in the first three steps that now you're willing to go all in. It's where you say, God, I'm gonna obey you. I don't need to understand it. I'm just gonna do it because I always know you know what is best. See, this is where you surrender your life. This is where you surrender everything and everyone. You open up your hands and you say, God, I am yours. So in this final stage of following Jesus, this is the place I surrender everything and everyone to Jesus. Now, this invitation to follow Jesus, when Jesus says, come follow me, it isn't an invitation to blind faith or blind trust. It's an invitation to build faith and trust in Jesus through taking one step at a time and learning with each step that he is trustworthy. And that's why you hear us all the time talking about what is the next step that God is leading you to take because that's what it means to follow Jesus. You just take one step after the next because if you're sitting or standing, you're not following. You have to be taking steps in order to follow Jesus. But that raises a question for many of us. Like, why do that? Why, why do I wanna take all of these steps and follow Jesus? What's the point? What's the promise? What's the payoff? I mean, for some of you think, well, maybe it's so I can be a better person. Well, the good news, following Jesus is gonna make your life better and it's gonna make you better life. I mean, you're gonna be faster to forgive and more generous and more loving and more patient and more kind. I mean, you'll be more the person that you really want to be. But you know what? Jesus never said, follow me and I will make you a better person. He, he never said that. that. That wasn't the primary thing that why he said to follow him. And some of you go, I know what it is. It's um, so I can go to heaven. And that's what most of us heard growing up. But guess what? You won't find hardly any instance where Jesus connected following him with heaven. Matter of fact, he didn't talk about heaven a lot. His disciples talked more about heaven in some ways than what Jesus did. But here's the truth. I mean, as a follower of Jesus, it is true. And Jesus said, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if it weren't true, I wouldn't have told you so. Right? He's going, I, there, is, there is this reward and this blessing of eternal life in heaven with me. But that was not the primary point that Jesus made about us following him. And some of you go, oh, I know what it is. The primary point is probably a pain-free or a problem-free life. <laughs> some of you laugh. Because you understand that's not true. I mean, no, if you listen to the words of Jesus, Jesus just said the opposite of that. He said, no, in this world, you're gonna have a lot of trouble. You're gonna have a lot of problem. You're gonna have a lot of pain. But Jesus promised that he would be with us. But he did not promise that our life would be pain-free or problem-free. Now, the truth is, the reason this is so confusing for so many people is because while following Jesus will help you avoid some avoidable pain and problems, but as we're gonna see today, following Jesus, it may create some new pain and problems in your life. 
And then the other thing that makes this so confusing is this whole idea of following Jesus, it, that you get this pain-free, this problem-free life, it gets mixed into Jesus' message by teachers and preachers who are teaching some kind of health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, and it confuses people. So listen, if anybody ever tells you, hey, all you have to do is do A, B, and C, and then God is obligated to answer this prayer, or you send me $100 or $1,000, and you're gonna be a millionaire, I mean, don't believe it, they're lying, because you won't be the millionaire, they will be, because everybody's sending them all that money. <laughs> See, and that's not following Jesus. That's called superstition. I mean, if they say, hey, listen, you, you send me something and I'll send you something and God's gonna bless you. That kind of, I mean, listen, no, 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 no. That's superstition. That's magic. And that mindset is so deceptive. God doesn't respond to good luck charms or random rituals, even if they're cloaked in religion talk. So here's the thing. If being a better person, if going to heaven if having a pain-free, problem-free life is not the primary end game of following Jesus, what's the point? Well, that's a great question. And I'm absolutely excited to show this to you because about 10 or 12 years ago, I heard Andy Stanley teach this principle. And I'm telling you, I lived a life that was filled with fear. And I started applying this principle to my life. And I'm gonna tell you, it absolutely was a game changer for my life. But here's what I'm gonna tell you. If you will follow Jesus and you will take your next step, you should know where it leads you. And that's what we wanna help you discover this morning. And then once I show you this, you're gonna start seeing this everywhere throughout the New Testament, through the teachings of Jesus, through the teachings of the apostles. So let me kind of give you a little backstory as we begin this part of our conversation today. Jesus, he has chosen his 12 disciples. He's chosen the 12 guys that are gonna be the ones who are gonna spend the next three years with him, following him day in and day out. And once he's chosen them, he brings them all together and he sits down and he explains with them, hey, here's what's gonna happen to you in the future. Now, he's not saying here's what's gonna happen to you tomorrow or the following week, but here's what's gonna happen to you down the road. Now, I wanna tell you something. When Jesus sits down and has this conversation with these disciples, it's not good news to them. It's not great news. What he explains to them creates fear in them. But the reason he explains it to them is he wants them to know the point. He wants them to know the payoff for following them, for following Jesus. In fact, he really wants them to know, hey, here's the end game of this whole thing of following me. Now, here's the good news for you. As we read this passage, some of the things that Jesus warns these disciples are gonna happen to them, they most likely won't happen to you. The bad news won't necessarily apply to you of what's gonna happen to them physically. It could, but most, most likely won't. But the principle of the end game, the end result, if we apply this principle in our life, it does apply to you. So here's what Jesus says to them in Matthew chapter 10, if you wanna follow along in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 16. He says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Now that automatically tells us this is gonna be a difficult conversation, right? 
I mean, if your boss came to you and said, hey, I'm sending you out and you're gonna be the manager over this division and I'm sending you out like a sheep among wolves, you know, you got some problems, right? There's gonna be some issues, right? So this is how the conversation starts. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. This next line gets their attention as well. Be on your guard. If your boss told you out, hey, when you go take over this division, you need to be on your guard. All of a sudden, you all are starting to feel more tension, right? More tension coming up. He says, be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local council and be flogged in the synagogues. But he doesn't stop there. He says, on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and the Gentiles. So Jesus is saying, hey, I'm gonna be sending you out to continue this ministry. And he's telling them, he says, here's what's gonna happen to you down the road. And, and I can imagine that these guys are thinking, this is what's gonna happen? This is not what we signed up for. I mean, Jesus, you're so popular. I mean, look at all these people who are following you. The crowd just keeps growing and growing. There's always more people. I mean, you're more popular than anybody and we know that you're going to be the king who, who, who just takes over and kicks the Roman oppression out. We, we really thought that following you is going to get us more power, not get us flogged. And I don't want you to miss the emotion. These are real people in a real life situation. I mean, this is like when the doctor comes in and tells you something that you don't want to hear. This is like when your boss comes in and tells you something you don't want to hear. This is like something your spouse, when your spouse comes in and tells you something you want to hear. That's the kind of emotion they're feeling. Because see, we don't get the significance of what Jesus is saying to these guys. Because in their minds, they knew that people could die from being flogged. They'd seen it. And if you did survive it, there was permanent scars often and sometimes disabling damage that was done to your body. So Jesus is telling, hey, this is going to be the cost of following me. This is a big deal to them, but he goes on and it doesn't get better. Notice what he says next. He says, but when they arrest you, now we've just gone from being flogged to now we're gonna be arrested. It's not if they arrest you, but when they arrest you. He says, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Now, I'm sure these guys are feeling so much panic, so much anxiety, so much fear. And honestly, at this point, they're probably not even worried about what to say or how to say it when they get arrested. I mean, that morning when they got up, when Jesus has this conversation with them, that was probably the father's thing from their minds. I mean, they were not even thinking about being arrested as part of following Jesus. But now I'm sure they are worried. They're filled with anxiety. They're filled with fear of how am I gonna survive if I get flogged? How am I gonna survive if I get arrested? Because if I get arrested, it could even possibly lead to death. I mean, that's the kind of emotion that these guys are feeling and experiencing at this point in time. I mean, this is not the kind of follow me pitch that they were expecting. No, they were expecting when Jesus said, come follow me, and they realized who he was, it's like, oh no, he's gonna be the king, and we're gonna get to have a power position. And the truth is, 
For most of us, this is not the kind of follow me pitch that we expect when we sign up to follow Jesus either, is it? But here is the point that Jesus is trying to teach in verse 28. Notice what he says. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And I'm sure when Jesus says this, do not be afraid, they are most likely thinking, yeah, but Jesus, you just said, I will be arrested. That's right, you're gonna be arrested for me. And you said that I'm gonna probably be flogged. Yeah, that's probably gonna happen as well. And people are gonna turn on me. Yep, that's probably gonna happen as well. And we're gonna be on, tr on trial as well for our lives. Yeah, that's probably gonna happen as well. But now you're coming along and saying, don't be afraid? Why are you saying not to be afraid? How do you expect us not to be afraid? And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, because they don't have the power to decide your ultimate fate and future. Jesus is saying, when you follow me, you can be confident that your ultimate and fate and future are secure. They are in my hands. Even when you go through scary kind of things and you, you're, you're feeling fear and anxiety and panic, he's saying you can go through those scary kind of things and not be overwhelmed by fear. And folks, I'm telling you, this is so counterintuitive, not just for the disciples, but it's counterintuitive for every one of us. I mean, think about this. Jesus is not telling them that they shouldn't be afraid because he's gonna keep bad things from happening to them. No, Jesus is saying, listen, I don't want you to be afraid when bad things happen to you because I am going to be with you. And then Jesus makes the case for why they can believe it is true that he is going to be with them. But you need to understand something. They don't hear this and start living this right away. In fact, many of us, we're gonna hear this and, and you're gonna be cautious about this and you're gonna push back on this. In fact, the disciples, they didn't get this until after the resurrection. But this is the end game of following Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. Here's what he says. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And I'm sure they're thinking at this point, what does a sparrow being sold for a penny have to do with anything? Yeah, yeah, Jesus, we know they have little value. But Jesus, instead of talking about sparrows being sold for a penny because they don't really have a whole lot of value, can we go back to working out how this arrest thing and this flogging thing, how that problem can be solved and not happen? But Jesus continues, notice the rest of verse 29. He says, are not two sparrows sowed for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. Don't miss that. He's saying, these sparrows that you think have little value, he said, notice what your heavenly father thinks of them. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. And then he says, so don't be afraid. You are worth more 
than many sparrows. And, and there's that statement again, don't be afraid. And, and no, understand, whenever Jesus says, don't be afraid about something, it is because you have cause to be afraid. But, but Jesus is saying, listen, you don't have to be afraid because my father, he cares about the sparrows that you have little value for. How much more do you think he cares about you? And they're going, yeah, but Jesus, you just said we could be flogged and we could be arrested. I mean, do you understand how scary that is? <laughs> I'm absolutely worried. I'm in panic. But Jesus says, hey, you, you don't have to. And again, Jesus' point is not don't be afraid because I won't let bad things happen. His point is, you don't have to be afraid when bad things happen to you because I am with you. See, Jesus is reminding them, if God pays this much attention to something that you don't care or value about, have any value for, these sparrows, then how much more attention do you think he's paying to you? So much attention that he even knows the number of hairs on your head. For some of you, that's harder for him to figure out than others of you, right? <laughs> but that's not the point. The point is, he cares about every little detail of your life. And when he mentions the hairs, he's talking, I, I care about even every little cell in your body. He says, so you don't have to fear. While you may feel fear, fear, you don't have to react or live in fear because you are under your father's care. And this whole idea in this verse of being under your father's care, it's the idea of a dad who picks up a baby who's crying and holds it close and bring it security and comfort. It's the whole idea of a toddler who's fearful and grabbing that toddler and pulling that up and saying, it's okay, babe, it's okay. Daddy's got you. It's the whole idea of that teenager who's had their heart broken and their life is filled with fear. And it's the dad or the mom coming and grabbing them and holding them close, saying, it's okay. I got you. I got you. And when Jesus said to his disciples, how much more do you think your heavenly father cares for you? They didn't get it in that moment. And many times we don't get it in that moment but that's how much your father cares for you. And no matter what you're going through, he's going, listen, if you're a follower of me, I'm in you, I live inside of you. Jesus is with you. I got you, I know what's going on with you and I care about you. So I want you to think about this. J just assuming that you believe in Jesus. And if you got questions about that, we would love to answer those questions. But how would you act if you knew that Jesus was standing right next to you? How would you act if he were living in your home or at your workplace, just working with you every day? If God were physically with you, would you panic when you felt fear? Would you get filled with anxiety? Would you get anxious? Or do you think you would be at peace if you knew that Jesus is with you? I mean, would you keep being generous when you got fearful that there wasn't gonna be enough or would you get greedy? Would you keep being selfless or would you ignore what others need and, and just focus on yourself when you feared that there wasn't enough abundance? See, this is Jesus' whole point. 
God is with you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I just want to remind you that God is with you. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, here's the secret that all of us forget. Christ lives in you, meaning the God of the universe, Jesus, your Savior, your Lord and King, indwells you through the person of the Holy Spirit. That is God, Jesus, indwelling you. And Jesus' whole point is, God is always with you. You may not be able to see him, but he's with you. He's feeling what you're going through. He knows what you're going through because not only does he know every detail about you because he indwells you and he made you and he created you, but he's the creator of the universe and he's all-knowing. And see, this is where Jesus is trying to take all of us who follow him to know so deeply and so personally that he's with us and that he cares for us. In fact, this is what he's saying really is the end game of following. He says, the end game of following is a trust that expels all fear. See, the end game of following Jesus, it is a fearless faith. It is to get to the point where you and I have such a confidence in our heavenly father's love for us that there is no fear that's so great that can shake us. It doesn't mean that we don't feel, have that moment of feeling fear or anxiety or panic, but we get to the place where it is no longer a driver in our life. I mean, think about how you would respond to any situation if you were absolutely confident that God was right here with you. I mean, if you were absolutely confident that God loved you and he cared so much about you, just like that dad does that baby or that mom does that baby or that parent does that toddler or that teenager. You, you know what happened? Our worry when we have that kind of confidence is replaced by peace because we're confident that God is with us. Our fear is overwhelmed by God's love for us because we're confident that God is with us. See, that is the kind of confidence that God gave Jesus because he just stayed right in step with his father throughout his whole earthly ministry. And it gave Jesus the strength to endure the betrayal, the arrest, the false trial, the flogging, the mocking, the pain, the shame, and ultimately that grueling death on the cross and it not just endured but to walk boldly in confidence knowing that God his father would be with him see it's that kind of confidence in God is what allowed the early followers of Jesus to follow Jesus' example and not act or react in fear. It's what gave the apostle Peter, it's what gave the apostle John, the apostle Paul, the courage to be thrown into prison, to be beaten and to be stoned. It gave them the courage to look the very people who crucified Jesus and say, you do what you want to us, but we're gonna be talking about this Jesus who, who's raised from the dead. We're not going to stop telling people what we have seen, what we've heard, and what we've experienced. And yes, we realize that you can kill our body, but you're not the ones who can kill our body and our soul. And yet we feel some fear from that, but we're not going to act or react in fear. No, we are living this moment acting confident that God is with us. He sees, he knows. So you do whatever you want, but we're going to keep preaching the gospel. See, that's what faith looked like in the early days of the church. And it was still evident in the second century. In fact, there was a Roman physician who had the opportunity 
to go into the arena after Christians had been mauled and some of them even just been eaten by animals so he could examine their bodies, some before they died and others after they died. I mean, this was a man who personally witnessed Christian after Christian being captured and then being thrown into this arena and basically being murdered for the amusement of an audience. And this is what this pagan doctor who observed these Christians going, dying, this is what he wrote about them. He said, fearless of death and the hereafter is something we witness in them every day. That is the payoff for following Jesus. Getting to the place where our trust and our confidence in God is so big, it overwhelms or expels any fear that we face. So what if your confidence in God's love for you was that big? Like, like what if you woke up every day and you faced every circumstance coming your way, doing what any person would do if they were absolutely confident that God was with them, that God cared about them, and that God loved them. I'm just telling you, when you commit to taking steps to follow Jesus, that's where you end up with this kind of level of confidence. And I'm just saying, this level of confidence, it doesn't happen sitting and just being a spectator. It only happens whenever you take steps. See, that's the ultimate destination for every one of us. See, Jesus is not taking you to a place of super superstition. He's not taking you to a place of magic formulas or something like that. No, he's taking us to a place of a relationship with him that is built on unshakable trust. And here's the thing I want you to understand this morning. Every step that you are willing to take as you begin to follow Jesus, every step that you're willing to take along this road of following him is a step that gives you another opportunity for God to prove to you that he is trustworthy. But here's the thing. Every time you refuse to take a step that God is take, calling you to step, take that step whenever he calls you to follow him, you lose the opportunity to experience his faithfulness in your life and you lose your chance to grow bigger in your faith. And here's the thing, the other thing that happens. Whenever you quit taking steps to follow, you revert back to someone who just believes in Jesus. See, that's what happens when you quit taking steps. This is why following is such a big deal because when you revert back to someone who just believes in Jesus, then you just believe in him as your savior and you begin to refuse to follow him as your leader and your king. And you know what it's called when you refuse to follow Jesus? That's called being a consumer or a spectator. And I just want to tell you something. There is a very high price to pay when you choose just to sit and soak and be a spectator and a consumer. And that high price to pay is the lack of confidence that God is with you no matter what you go through. Because sitting and being a spectator does not inform and show you and give you the confidence because you're not taking steps with God through the process and, and him being able to show you that he's trustworthy. But when you develop a faith or for you to develop a faith that overwhelms fear, I'm telling you, you have to take step after step with Jesus. And then I'm gonna tell you something else this does. It not only gives you confidence that God loves you, 
but it fully frees you to love other people, even those people that seem so unlovable. Because here's the thing, you can't love someone if you fear that they're gonna hurt you or take advantage of you or maybe get ahead of you. You know what fear does? In your relationship with God, in your relationship with other people, fear drives you to self-protect and self-obsess. Don't miss what I just said there. Fear drives you to self-protect and self-obsessed. But when you are confident that you are perfectly loved by your heavenly father, that your heavenly father cares for you, when you have a trust in God that no pain or no problem can shake, then perfect love can overwhelm and expel all fear. And that's what the apostle John meant when he wrote these words in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. He says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we've not fully experienced his perfect love. Do you know how you experience God's perfect love? If you're at step one today and God's calling you to take step two, you take that step. And then, if you're at step two and he's telling you to take step three, you take that step. And you just keep taking the step because every time you take another step, God proves that he's trustworthy. Even though there's pain, even though there's problems, even though there are circumstances that cause fear and panic and anxiety, and you're gonna go, will I ever, will I ever get to the place where I won't have that feeling? No, no, you will still have that feeling, that emotion. But then you lean in to your father who cares for you. And you don't know how many times I have said, Father, you know I'm feeling fear and you feel what I'm feeling because you're in me. I need to feel your love. I need to feel that you're near. And then I just lean in. And the more you lean in, the more you experience his love and his care and it casts out all fear. So, so why follow Jesus? Why take a step? I mean, some of you, you know that he's, God's been telling you, you need to take this step, you need to take this step, and you've been resisting it. So some of you are stuck and, and your spiritual life is stagnant because you've not taken a step. So why take a step? Because the payoff is a trust that expels all fear. It's a trust that expels all fear. So will you lean in to Lean in to your heavenly father who cares for you. And if you're feeling fear, panic, anxiety, man, your step today is to say, Jesus, I just surrender everything and everyone to you. And I'm gonna follow you. I'm scared, but I know, I know your love is for me. Your care is for me. I'm gonna lean into that. And the other thing we're gonna discover next week is we have a king who's worth following as well. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible opportunity. It's an amazing opportunity to understand the end game of following you. It's a fearless faith. God, I pray that you'll do for each person who's hearing this message, what you did for me. 
when I begin to understand this principle in my life and apply it. God, that they will begin to experience you as a father who cares so much so that even when they're going through the most difficult pain and the problem and discomfort and things that create anxiety on the front end and worry on the front end and that emotion of fear on the front end, it's just like a good parent, you care. But you even care with a perfect love. You know every detail of what's going on. And I thank you that you have the strength and help for us in our greatest time of need. And may we lean into that. In fact, may that fear, that panic, that anxiety, may it drive us to lean into you even more so we can experience the fact that you do care and that you're trustworthy. And may we be able to look back one day and go, wow, as the apostle John did, when he's sitting in a prison and he knows his life could be taken at any time, he says, hey, perfect love, it really does cast out all fear. God, may that be the testimony of our lives as we lean into you our risen Lord and King, our Savior, our Father, and our friend. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen. Hey, I encourage all of you, lean into Jesus this week. We'll see you next Sunday.